This motion picture was produced for deaf and hard of hearing audiences. Sign language is totally visual with a unique grammatical structure. Its interpretation into modern English would destroy much of the effect of this form of communication. With this in mind, we will provide as literal a voice track as possible to help you follow the story. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts Foyerism. I am your co-host, Jinx. I'm sitting here with Scott Foy. Foy! It's been a while, man. It's been about a month. How the hell are you? Hello. Oh, I, I'm here, but I, I, I'm I'm honoring the film we're going to discuss today by remaining silent. <laughs> okay, you know what? Okay, so here's the thing. Right off the bat, for you, I got two things for you. One, uh, yeah, no, seriously, how how you doing, man? Been a bit. Let's catch up. And number two. To any of our listeners out there who are going to be coming to this episode, having seen the title of the movie that we're going to be discussing, can you please put any concerns they may have to rest and assure them that this isn't the potentially crass and sensitive movie that they may think it might be? No, no, yeah, yeah. Here, here's the thing. This movie has one of the worst titles in history. But it easily. Yes, yes, but here's the thing: that the guy who wrote and directed the movie is himself deaf. It is, in fact, the first movie ever done entirely in American Sign Language, and it's also—I mean, I think you'll agree with me from watching this—it's kind of an art film. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, it, it, I mean, there's so many words you could use to describe this movie. It is artsy. And at times, it's. It, I don't think you deny it. Tell me if you if you disagree with any of these. Uh, artsy, uh, occasionally amateurish. Oh yeah. Uh, confusing. Oh yes. Uh, compelling. Strangely. Yes. Ridiculous. Absolutely. Bizarre. I mean, goes without saying. Uh, intriguing. And uh, sure. Absolutely unique, like nothing you've ever seen before. I I will absolutely give it that. And let and you know I I know people get mad at you on 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 social media when some people say this about a, a, a like an art house type movie, but I don't think it would be wrong to say that there's a few moments in this movie where things get just a tad pretentious, especially uh, towards the end. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean that. You know, the, the thing about the movie is, is that it's, it, you're right, it's absolutely an art house film, but I gotta say, man, it's, th there are so many things to me, and I'm sure we're gonna get into them, so many things about this movie that are absolutely fascinating to me, but more than anything, for where this movie was coming from, what it was attempting to do, the types of movies that it was uh, calling back to, the way in which, you know, the film was made for all of that, Perhaps the most fascinating thing to me is the fact that the guy who made this actually showed some promise as a filmmaker. Uh, you know, th this movie is rough around the edges. It's 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 trying at times. It'll try your patience. Uh, but there are some real flashes of a solid filmmaker in there that uh, you know makes me wonder what else he did in his career, if if anything oh, at all. I, I can already answer that question. He actually he he did direct a couple of films. Uh, none of which I've ever heard of, and I have no idea where you'd ever find them. And I'm guessing they're extremely rare because most of them don't even have reviews on IMDb. I mean, think about this. This movie here is extremely rare, which we'll talk about later on. But uh, his name is, uh, I, I, 
I want to say that I, I think it's Wexberg. Yes, yeah. Wexberg. Although he's also credited simply as the name Peter Wolf. Which I kind of love that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I believe he was, uh, yeah, he, I believe he is in fact deaf because uh, something I read about this movie is that it lists, it says that uh, all, of, if you look at the credits of the movie, everybody, all the actors whose names are listed uh, in italics are actors who actually have hearing. If their name is not in italics, they are actually in real life deaf. Yeah, and I do love, well, tell you what, before we dive into the minutiae of this film's making and uh, whatnot, tell you what, can you at the start here just clue listeners in as to what exactly Defula is? Defula is, I'm not entirely sure what it is. <laughs> Defula is a movie that is basically, I mean, you go into it like thinking like, okay, it's going to be a retelling of Bram Stoker's Dracula using sign language. But it's actually set in modern times, and by modern times, I mean 1975, in which it is set. And it is presented in what is called a sinoscope, which I guess was some, like, just say it's in sign language. But apparently sinoscope means that the movie, all the actors talk in sign language, because in the world of Defula, in the world of the movie, nobody speaks. Everyone apparently is deaf and only speaks with sign language. And for those of, and for the, I guess, the hearing paired, not impaired, for the hearing paired, those of us who are, who actually uh, can hear as we're watching this, they've also added in a little bit of music at times, but there's like a lot of long silent stretches of the film, because at times it's black and white, and it's almost like a old black and white silent film at times. Everyone speaks in sign language, there is, but there's also some voiceover, and uh, let's be honest for a second, very bad voiceovers which, again we'll also talk about as we go along for those of us who can hear it's it's so bizarre it's one of those movies where it's like when it's over it's like i'm not entirely sure how i really feel about for that movie from an entertainment standpoint but it's just fascinating to watch no, it absolutely is. And, you know, it's curious that you mentioned <laughs> the uh, the music that's been added and the voiceover. There is very little, if any, in the way of, like, diegetic sounds in the movie. Like, you know, you, you'll get long stretches of a, a motorcycle being, you know, piloted down a highway or, you know, uh, an attack of sorts or any number of things that happen in the movie. Right. And there's I... no sound, no sound effects whatsoever. And yet... Oh, no. No, no, that's not true. Because it's it's kind of really there's that one scene where it goes from kind of like, uh, like a, a defula attack scene, to like a pool hall, and you do hear like yeah, pool, yeah, yeah. But it's like the only one in the whole movie because I don't. I'm trying to think of like any other actual sound effects you hear, and there's pretty much nothing. You, you know what I think kind of sums up this movie perfectly? The character of Zork. <laughs> the character. I think this kind of gives you, it, it kind of encapsulates everything about the movie from both a fascinating standpoint, from an artistic standpoint, from an actually, from an, you know, it, there's a character who's sort of like, like an Igor type to one of the character, to uh, one of the other characters, which we will talk about as the film goes along, as we discuss the film. But his character is supposed, to, in the world of Defula, he's a mute because he has no hands. 
his hands have been his he was punished and his hands have been removed so because he doesn't have hands he can't do sign language so therefore he's a mute in the world of defula but his hands have been replaced with what are clearly tin cans we're watching an actor wearing tin cans on the edge of on his hands so as like as like brilliant as the idea of like a person with no hands would be the equivalent of a, a mute person in this world there's also the fact that what you see there with, with a man who clearly has two big soup cans covering his fists <laughs> is just ridiculous looking yeah were, would you think they were meant to be soup cans in the world of the film or was that just a really cheap effect meant to stand in for some other idea do you think i have i have no idea because i mean it's quite obvious this movie had very little budget i mean it's it's just a couple of locations i mean i mean the, the biggest prop in the movie is let's face it defula's nose which we'll have to talk about in a few minutes my goodness that nose you know, let, let, let's just let's just let's just start right off at the beginning. Let's just get right into this because the first thing we've seen is the the movie also makes use of lots of flashbacks, which can get very confusing at times. But we we see it. We're introduced to our our character, who is played by uh, the writer, director, producer Peter Wexberg, Peter Wolf. He plays a character named Steve Adams, who's a seminary student in 1975. And the first thing we see is he's like just sitting there smoking a cigarette, staring off into space after having apparently just killed a guy in a, a gas station bathroom or something. And then he has this flashback to his father, who was a minister, preaching from the pulpit. And then we and then he, the, the dad is giving him blood transfusions because apparently dad knows something's not right with his kid. So he's giving him his own blood. But that's still not enough. And then we see this actually like genuinely hor horrifying scene of, of of Steve Adams as a child ripping the throat out of a dog and feeding on it. And it's like it's a very artistic. I mean, the, 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 the way the movie opens, you know, right away, this is going to be an art film, kind of. But yeah, it's really it's kind of I got to say that opening completely had me on board because it is kind of yeah, it's an art house film, but it, it's very, you know, it's beautifully made and it's kind of even hypnotic in its own yeah. way when no one is speaking. When it's just a silent, moody art house flick, I, I think the movie actually really works. Yes. And then as soon as that scene's over, things start getting silly. <laughs> because introduced to British detective Butterfield of Scotland Yard, who just happens to be visiting here. I mean, it's literally his first day in America, and he's there with another detective, and they're working on this case involving a dead woman's body found in a tree who apparently has been killed by Defula. We 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 don't we never saw that scene, nor do we even see the body in the tree. We just see them looking up, and and Detective Butterfield goes immediately right to the werewolf of Woodstock explanation. The <laughs> explanation for this woman's dead body in a tree has to be a vampire because he's seen this before in England and knows that a vampire must be responsible. <laughs> well, I, I, I love the sort of uh, back and forth between the two where it said, you know, it's like, you know, we're up to 26 murders. We weren't really concerned after the first two murders. We we thought it was just a wolf because of the puncture wounds on the neck. But after the fifth or sixth, I was like, at that point, once they got into the dialogue between these two characters, I was just kind of like, oh, 
Oh, so this isn't the movie I thought the opening scene was going to. Okay, no, it's cool. No, no, no. You were you were correct on both counts <laughs> <laughs> because that's one of the things that makes this movie so fascinating is how it can actually be this very well made black and white artistic horror drama with a lot of mm. uh, religious and psychological overtones. And then at the same time, it's there's also this preposterousness going on involving this detective who thinks everything is the work of vampires and cracks the case using peanuts, which we will get to. With the, I, the peanuts thing all around. There is nothing regarding peanuts in this movie that makes any sense to me. That, 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 this would be a good time to talk about the fact one of the things, the voiceovers for the actors... For for those of for the for those of us who uh, are not deaf and don't know sign language, the voiceovers do no favors because everyone sounds very, most of the time very dispassionate, very matter of fact, like they're reading from a cue card for the first time. They, yes, I can't argue that, and yet at the same time, I think that the dubbing is weirdly more competent. Than I see in a lot of movies like this where dubbing has been done. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's better than like, you know, when you see like an old Godzilla movie and you clearly, you clearly hear an adult man trying to do a child's voice or, you know, Kung Fu movies where everyone's like talking and very exaggerated. (laughs) But it's mostly like, like, I have seen this before. This is clearly the work of a vampire. I am from Britain. We have the best detective. (laughs) I mean, and different actors are credited with different voices, but they almost all sound the same because they have that same kind of matter of fact, monotone voice. Like they're just, I mean, I mean, look, look, nothing will ever be the worst voiceover. I think I've ever heard for a movie. Ironically was another vampire movie that was in English. It was a kid's movie from like the, the mid, I don't know, 2010, 2012, called Vampire Dog. Your grandpa's sending you a dog. A dog. His name is Fang. He's been around a long time, I guess. What do you need? Strawberry jelly. How can you talk? Uh, hello, Vampire Dog? Boy, why do, you, why do you do this to yourself? Because, because with Norm MacDonald as the voice of a vampire dog that's addicted to red jelly. You can't why do you because do this to yourself? Well, the, the, most, the most compelling, the most fast compelling, though, and the, you, you you ever heard the phrase like you know someone's phoning in their performance? Right. I'm fairly certain he just recorded his voice over a phone. <laughs> if you listen to that movie, he sounds like he's got the script instead of in front of himself for the first time. He's never read it. He doesn't give a damn, and it and there's a tinniness to the voice of the dog that sounds like. It's like it's like he he was not he he did not go into a professional studio to record these lines. He did them over a bad Skype connection. I'm not gonna watch Norm Macdonald's Vampire Dog. I don't care how much of a closeted fan of Screwed I am. I yeah. just I can't do it. Can't bring myself to it. So anyway, uh, now now that the detectives have de- immediately determined that the works the killings must be the work of a va- well sorry one detective from from Britain has de- determined it must be a vampire. The other guy. His only real job is to disagree with everything the British detective says. It's like the whole movie. It's just they just disagree with each other over just about everything. 
So now we cut to Steve Adams walking down an empty street, signing to himself, which I guess is the equivalent of talking to himself. And to say that he's waxing poetic would be a, uh, an understatement. And this gets the attention of a scuzzy biker and his groovy chick riding on the back that just drive by him and they, they stop and Steve immediately looks at him and invites him to church. But instead, the biker decides to get off his motorcycle and rob Steve at, gun, at, at knife point. Money, money, money. And, it, and not just rob him. He, he literally just decides, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to stab this man to death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but doing so causes Steve to instantly transform into Defula. Now, here's the thing. When he transforms into Defula, he goes from being this guy who looks, I don't know, would it be wrong to say he looks a little bit like Kenny Loggins? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peter there's, Wexford, uh, you know, anytime yeah. you see him, there's you, you might be in the danger zone. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a Kenny Loggins vibe coming from this guy. But when he turns into Defula, he, he suddenly is in like full Bela Lugosi, black clothes, cape. He's got, you know, you know, the darkest, his hair looks like it's a little bit darker. I mean, and his eyebrows are a little more arched. I mean, he's made to look sinister. It, he looks like a silent film vampire. But for some reason, and it's the one thing that completely kills your ability to take any of this seriously. And I have. I would love to know what, what, who thought it was a good idea, and who, who, who. No one was able to tell him this big, giant, fake nose he wears. He's got this Cyrano de Bergerac nose. Dracula is not known for his giant nose. There, there's no logical reason for why he chose to do this, but it's so fake and it's so distracting. It takes it just it just takes away from the actual horror and seriousness. Every time he becomes Defula. He looks like fucking Pinocchio if he were a politician. It makes no sense to me whatsoever that... By the way, for for the record, before anybody out there uh, said... Again, the the title of the movie. When he he actually names himself Defula. There there is a scene later on in the movie where he meets Count Dracula. We're getting to that. And, And it's like, I am Count Dracula. And it's like, I am your son, Defula. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I, if only there had been a three-way crossover between Dracula, Defula, and Blackula. You know, they all could have sat down at a table and hashed out maybe some better names to use, just possibly. I, I don't know, but but anyway, this results in he hypnotizes the biker to tie his girlfriend to the back of the motorcycle and then just go drive off a cliff. And I'm still not sure how this girl was not able to escape because she only had one rope around her waist. And that was a long drive. <laughs> we watched that motorcycle drive off to a cliff. Death, total silence. No music, no sound effects, nothing. Just this long drive while the girl sits on the back, kind of beaten on his shoulder, like, like, what are you doing? And then just slowly goes over a cliff. And it takes it, what, what would you say, about two minutes of film? It's it's a it's a slog, man. And then we immediately. I mean, mean, here's the thing: there there are scenes in the movie where there's dramatic piano and violin music, 
but not here. <laughs> I don't know why they use it here. So, so since there are only two detectives in this entire town, here comes Detective Butterfield and the. I don't. I, I don't think the other guy ever has a name, does he? It's just Detective. Well, yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, if you look in the credits of the movie, Butterfield isn't even listed as like Detective Butterfield. It just says Detective and Assistant Detective. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, the detective is just Detective. You know better. Be careful. I'm a detective. So the yeah the assistant and here's the. No, I, I would love to. I'd love to look into this because the one thing that the the, uh, the 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 actual detective has in his car, I was like, what is that? He had. Did you see that thing that the telephone with a typewriter built into it? Yeah, the teletype. Yeah, I, I haven't seen one of those in so long. It just, it's like it threw me off for a moment. Like, wait, is that something that's used by deaf people to use the telephone, or is that actual technology that I've just archaic technology I've lost track of? No, I think that was. Yeah, it's a thing. Or okay, was it like, I'm sure it's not now, but was it even a thing in 1975? Uh, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. That okay. That that threw me off for a second. So so that so they're investigating this, and and Detective Butterfield is explaining that this had to have been the work of the vampire because he saw the look in the eyes of the dead bodies down there. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I was the other detective, I'd be like, just shut up already. <laughs> Everything can't be the vampire. And then we cut to a woman just in her apartment reading a magazine, and then Defula just appears and attacks her. And, and keep in mind something pretty much all of the vampire attacks, when he does attacks her, I mean, you don't really see anything. It usually cuts right before he actually, like, I don't know, kills them. You don't even see Defula, like, drinking blood or sinking his fangs into everybody or maybe sinking his nose into them. I'm not sure how he does. I'm not sure how his fangs would reach their neck with that giant. I was gonna say with that schnoz, man. Like it's you know that that had to have been somewhat preventative. I I, <laughs> I just I still don't know. I can't make the connection between if you're a vampire, you get a massive nose. Where does that come from? Is that part of any sort of lore? Because there's some crazy, crazy vampire lore out there. But does any of it involve big noses? Schnozula. <laughs> Schnozula, starring Jamie Farr. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm just going to guess it was an artistic decision that probably one thing to keep in mind from what I, from what research I've done, uh, Mr. Wexberg, Mr. Wolf was, uh, he was part of the National Theater of the Deaf, so. I mean, that probably also explains why a lot of the movie feels like it's a movie, but it's staged like a play. So something tells me that, that the, the big nose thing might have worked if you were watching a play, but it doesn't work when you're watching a movie and there's close-ups. So <laughs> but now we cut to the two detectives who are having dinner, and Detective Butterfield explains how he killed Dracula. Him. That's why he knows this is the work of the vampire. Because he, he fought, and he explains the incredible amount of effort it took to kill the Lord of the Vampires. I remember my first encounter with Dracula. I followed and I searched everywhere. When I found him, I hammered a stake in his heart and he died. That's it. That's the well, explanation. I love that he's kind of nonchalant about it. Like, yeah, yeah, I killed Dracula, you know, Prince of Darkness. No big deal. It's cool. 
Yeah, you need to use that sound bite. Because it's just so, it's so oddly phrased. I followed him. And when I found him, I drove a stake through his heart. Dracula is now dead. And that, pro- oh, and then he also throws in, and that proves England has the best detectives in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, they couldn't fucking catch Jack the Ripper. I'm just throwing that out there. That's because he went to 1985 to fight Hasselhoff. Friday, a world movie premiere. Jack the Ripper is alive. Night Riders David Hasselhoff, Hunter Stephanie Kramer, and one of history's most famous killers. He's out there. We gotta stop him. He's watching their every move, but together, they might survive. <gasps> Jack the Ripper has found a bridge across time. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So then uh, the detective is joined by his old friend, Steve Adams, so that we can tie all this together. And Steve specifically requests peanuts, which, believe it or not, will prove to be a major plot point going forward. Because even for all my appreciation of this movie, the peanuts thing is so fucking dumb. Why do you eat peanuts with the shells still on them? Because it's an old habit. Okay. But that to me is not the most disconcerting part of the scene. The most disconcerting part is they're talking about these vampire killings, and we're now up to 29 victims. And for some reason, the detective wants to consult with seminary student Steve Adams about what he should do. Like, why? <laughs> why would you ask him? And, I, and I, Steve's well, they're pals. They go back a ways. I know, but still, it's like, and his response is, well, maybe everyone should stay inside. To which the detective is like, yes, but most of the victims were in their bedrooms. And Steve's like, oh, well. And then the, and then the detective is like, well, if you come up with any new ideas, let me know. And I'm thinking, no wonder we're up to 29, 29 kills. These are the worst cops ever. No, I did, by this point, I'd really sort of made my peace with the storytelling aspect of this movie, where it's like, yeah, you know, there's some really interesting filmmaking on display, but when it comes to, uh, you know, the dialogue and sort of the, uh, the, the, you know, chewing through the plot, oh boy, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I was wondering, like, if I was just, if I was, if I wasn't hearing it spoken, if I was somebody who knew sign language, if I was, if I, if, it, if this was completely silent, would the dialogue sound less weird in sign language? But, Boy, I but, don't care what fucking language you'd be speaking. The peanuts thing is never going to make sense. And you know what? I'll give the movie one thing. Uh, I, it fooled me. I never thought it was going to come back up again. Fucking Chekhov's Peanuts, just sitting right there, did not think it was going to wind up being a major plot point later on. Yes. So, so now we cut to a Defula chasing an African-American man down, the, down an alley and feeds on him, to which two white teens in the alleyway also witness him, witness this man in full you know, Dracula garb and giant schnoz. And then the cops pull up right as Defula's about to kill the two teens. So instead, he quickly hypnotizes them to stab the black man's corpse to make it look like the teenagers committed the murder and not a vampire. So, yeah. <laughs> and the detectives practically run right past the vampire and somehow don't notice there's a man in full Bella Lugosi garb just standing 10 feet, of, 10 feet to the side. 
But they do notice because once again, the only two actually I was shocked by those cops showing up in the uh in the squad car because that proved that there are more than two detectives. But don't worry, because Detective Butterfield and Detective No Name immediately show up to once again investigate, and, and Detective Butterfield notices that, like, yes, this person has his body has been stabbed repeatedly, but that doesn't explain the neck bites. <laughs> to which the other detective is once again like, oh, you and your vampire thing again. To which I'm also thinking, like, you have 29 victims and you literally refer to them as the vampire killings. <laughs> so maybe there might be something to pay attention to here. Where, where are the feds at this point? 29 uh, murders. Yeah, they're too busy chasing Deathenstein. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder, had this movie been a massive hit, do you think he would have worked his way through all of the classic monsters? I I don't know. I, I, I Well, I mean, would it make sense to have a death werewolf? Because then the sense of smell and the giant nose would make more sense. But, yeah. No, it would. I, you know, I'm thinking like maybe Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Death. Could that have been a thing? The best part is we're making these jokes that sound like they'd be super offensive, but the guy who made this movie said Defula. Yeah, that's the title. That's why I feel kind of okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just kind of rolling yeah. with the world that this guy created. Deathzilla. <laughs> I would watch that. I'm still uh, long, but I would watch a Deathzilla movie. Yeah. Uh, so then we go to a news report that leads to this very odd dialogue exchange. Uh, sorry, there's a news report that explains about how the, you know, there's 29 dead bodies, and we cut to the detectives watching the news report in the police station, or at least a room inside of a place that's supposed to be a police station. And once again, Detective Butterfield is the killer is Dracula. But I know I'm from England. Still a different line. The killer is Dracula. We're not over there. We're here. Now do it now. All right, I'll try. Which I'm immediately going, well, wait a minute. You told us you killed Dracula. But the detective explained, like, no, it's not a vampire. It's not Dracula. And why? Because we're not over there. We're over here. So apparently there can only be vampires in Britain. <laughs> And then, and then after he, the uh, the detective gets so annoyed, he looks at Agent Butterfield and and just tells him, "I told you for the last time to get out of your chair and go find the killer." One, Detective Butterfield is a guest in this country. <laughs> Why is it now his job? Two, Detective Butterfield keeps telling you it's Dracula or a vampire, and you keep telling him to stop to knock off that crap. So why are you now suddenly leaning entirely on him when you don't even believe his leads? And three, that's not how police work work. It just... <laughs> the same way they took down the Night Stalker. <laughs> just, it's that simple. So then uh, Defula claims another attack victim, a woman in her bedroom. And I, I got to say, there's this little... I, I don't know how you describe the music. That kind of dun 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 but it's actually it's actually kind of effective. Yeah. No, that's it, the thing is, is when the the movie is purely action, 
it, it's it's very well made. It's 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 yeah, it's effective. Uh, I kind of wish. Boy, I'm wondering. Do you think if you removed all of the dialogue from this movie, do you think it would be more effective? You know, I remember when The Passion of the Christ came out, and I'm I'm gonna make this comparison work. Just hear me out. But apparently, Mel Gibson, crazy some bitch, he is. You think I'm crazy? Yeah. Yeah, you want to see crazy? I'll tell you. <laughs> He wanted to release that movie with no subtitles. So it would basically, the entire movie would be Aramaic. And if you went and watched the movie, you just had to consider what was being said in context and kind of roll with it that way. And of course, whoever wound up distributing the movie was like, <laughs> no. And, uh, you know, they, they had to have been a little bit right because the movie made over $300 million. But I'm wondering, is there a version of Defula? for speaking audiences who aren't familiar with ASL that has no dubbing whatsoever that might be more effective. Okay, well, I was, was going to save this for the end, a little footnote here, but from what I've done, my research, what little research, what little information I can find about this movie, because, I mean, I think when, when I say this movie is obscure, this movie is obscure. <laughs> and apparently it was originally silent. The, the dubbing and the music and all that was apparently added later on. So, so I wonder if that version even still exists out there. Well, I mean, the thing to keep in mind is, I mean, this is one of the reasons why it's kind of hard to really fully criticize it. This movie wasn't made for us. This movie was made for deaf audiences. Which I, I, I kind of love the idea that you have a filmmaker who is deaf who is making a film, not only is he making a movie for deaf audiences, but he has created a world here where the entire world is deaf. You know, you talk about representation, like, I, you know, I couldn't think of anything better than actually going and seeing, you know, uh, myself, you know, were I, you know, uh, deaf, you know, I, 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 I could imagine anything cooler than sitting down in an auditorium, you know, watching a monster movie where the entire world kind of represents me on screen. You know, I, I think there's something kind of beautiful about that. Yeah. yeah I mean, so, so anyway, now Steve is about to turn 30 and he's studying to be a preacher and his dad, who is the minister, informs him that he has a bad heart and can no longer give him blood, which I can only assume is our, the explanation for why Steve is now be, is turning into Defula and has killed 30 people. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he's killed a couple of people. He's been doing this for a while now. And that's when we get a, probably the most confusing part of the whole movie, the flashbacks to Steve's dad and Steve's mom when she was pregnant in a cabin and she died mysteriously during childbirth. And there's this friend, her best friend, Amy, who disappeared <laughs> or something and the doctor mentions that steve's birth was very strange and then just says your son has a very rare blood disease like yeah it's called vampirism <laughs> and and the only way you can keep him alive is to give him monthly blood transfusions and then amy who vanished 30 years ago has suddenly returned it's like well where did she go why has she suddenly come back and Steve and Dad are driving off in the woods, and they kind of have an argument. And Steve pulls off, pulls over on the side of the road, and takes off into the woods. And he, I think he threw up, but I'm not sure why. 
<laughs> it was dad an upsetting gets, day, boy. Yeah, so dad gets out and follows him, but drops dead of a heart attack. Well, I'm sorry, he drops, he drops from a heart attack. He doesn't die right away. And and Steve turns into death. I mean, we should mention at this point, Defula's vampires in this world can get out. Our, our broad daylight has no effect on them because I don't think there's any nights. There's only like there's only like one or two night scenes in the whole movie. Well, I was going to ask you re regarding the sunlight, Foy. Like, do you think this movie was made in 1975? So I think that means it predates or damn near predates. Marvel's Tomb of Dracula, even. So I'm wondering, I wanted to ask, do you think the creators of Blade might have seen Defula before they actually came up with that character and his uh, backstory? Because, uh, you know, you got some you got some Daywalker stuff in there. You got some, uh, some pregnant ladies being bitten by vampires, giving birth to, to half-vampire kids. I'm just throwing that out there. It just seems a little, you know... Well... Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go back and rewatch Blade and check the size of Wesley Snipes' nose and make the determination. What the fuck are you out of your damn mind? <laughs> anybody watch Deathula? Because I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with a hard no on that. All right, I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, then we have a uh, we 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 have Deathula. He, he 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 transforms and kills two lovers in the woods. This is like our, I guess. Hey, maybe Friday the Thirteenth saw this movie as well because. This this kill reminded me a little bit. Uh, the scenario setups reminded me a little bit of the the uh, the two lovers in the woods from Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. <laughs> Maybe they saw this movie. How many people have stolen from Defula and we didn't know? So so, but anyway, then then he turns back into Steve, finds his dad dying of a heart attack, who gives him a letter that says, "This is from Amy. Go find her," and then just dies. Do you think he held on to that letter and carried it with him wherever he went, just in case? Yeah, and that was clearly stolen by the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> yeah, the Harvey Dent letter. Yes, yes, everything, the speech. Yeah, that whole thing. Yeah. Every movie has now stolen from Defula. Uh, hey, I'm, sticking, I'm sticking to Blade, damn it. The, the Daywalker thing, the origin. I mean, come on. It, you got to admit, it's more than a little similar. No, it is similar, but so, so it, yes, and, and of course, once again, the two detectives have arrived for even out in the woods. They're they're on the scene. I'm also a little confu confused because it's like they didn't did they? It's like they, they they showed up because a guy dropped dead of a heart attack. Not then they find out. Oh wait, there's also two dead bodies in the woods. I, I, I got a little confused. So what was? What was the crime that brought them out there? But the important thing is, when I mentioned a moment ago that apparently Steve like puked up for some reason, that is actually going to become a plot point. <laughs> because Detective, because De Detective Butterfield is out scouring the woods looking for evidence around these two crime scenes, and he finds something on the ground and gathers it up. We'll come back to that. So Steve goes to meet with Amy, who is basically this movie's version of like the fortune-telling gypsy character from an old Universal Monsters movie. Although she looks more like a mean Sunday school teacher who smokes too much. Yeah. And that's when we also made meet Zork, her her manservant hunchback. Actually, I didn't think about it. He has no hands. How would he be helpful as a as a servant? I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, other than clapping 
with those cans, I, I, I you know, <laughs> it, to please her, I can't think of many things he could do. Well, how did he open the door? <laughs> I don't I, now I want to go back and rewatch that scene. How, how did he open the door to let Steve in when he knocked on the door? He's got tin can hands. Uh, the Zork, God love him. He that's. I want a Zork spinoff film. I want to know what. I want to know why soup cans. Who came to well, that decision? Was that Amy? Well, Was that him? Who? Who? Well, wait a minute. Amy explains why he has soup can hands. Because God was angry for him for his deviant behavior and took his hands, and now the devil has his hands. I mean, I, I've heard of, I've heard of, like, you know, hey, you do that too much, you'll go blind, or you'll, uh, you know, you'll, you'll grow hair on your palm. I've never heard you'll go deaf and your hands will fall off and be replaced with soup cans. But apparently, that's what he did. So keep oh, that poor thing. Hold on, I, 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 hold on, I actually have the movie queued up. I'm looking at it right now. Here he comes. All right, Zork's coming. He, he's slowly making his. He, he's he's. Yes, he, he he. Oh, okay. There's a piece of rope that's on the doorknob, and he pulls it with his teeth to open the door. My God! But that doesn't explain how did he unlock it. <laughs> is it just is it just open all the time? Boy, the whole you, you'll go blind thing has me wondering now. Like. If he has soup cans now, how would how would you even how would he one even he doesn't anymore? That's the point. That's why God punished him. I'd find a way. Now, now, then things again take a confusing turn because Amy now gives him more of the backstory about his how his mom was seduced by Dracula, Count Dracula. We get into the blade part. Yeah, and apparently bit her while she was pregnant, which I guess explains why he be- it killed her and caused him to be born as a partial vampire. But more importantly, she has Dracula's ring, and the ring will apparently disappear and reappear every time Steve transforms into Defula and kills someone. Because okay. why not? Yeah. <laughs> And because of everything that happened with her friend, that's what made her become very interested in witchcraft and also apparently chain smoking. <laughs> this this could be the most baffling scene in the whole movie. It's like they're trying to explain some lore here that doesn't add up at all. You gotta love the chain smoking thing. Dracula? I haven't heard that name in years. Yeah. And and then she tells him uh, she tells Steve in order to I- explain the backstory, she hypnotizes Steve by telling him to turn around. And when he he does, Zork is like behind her, looking creepy, with like a gem hanging on a string out of his mouth that's swinging back and forth. And he just stares at it until he gets hypnotized. <laughs> then she starts seeing what happened to his mom and how she was seduced by Dracula and bit him and. It's like, but he wasn't even born yet, so how would he see this from the outside view? Uh, Boy, you can't ask those kinds of questions of a movie like this. Anyway, she says the answer to it all is to go to this museum because Dracula is buried there. The museum is clearly just an empty house. It's not a museum. There's no museum. Any, there's nothing in this place. And he just 
and he just he just goes to this museum that's just this empty fancy house and then wanders into the subterranean cave part of this museum where they're just a coffin surrounded by gothic candles just sitting out in the open which again now begs the question if butterfield killed dracula how did he end up here because when he, because <laughs> when he opens the the casket dracula is there dead with a stake in his heart and Steve immediately yanks the, the stake out, and the moment he pulls the stake out, Dracula's eyes open. And Dr- Dracula is not the most threatening-looking Dracula. <laughs> yeah, as far as the Pantheon goes, he's 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 a few rungs below Gary Oldman and Christopher he, Lee, I think. He look he looks like like a fifty-year-old villain from a Mexican telenovela. <laughs> He's got the uh, the black hair with the grayish in it. He's got very, very distinct black eyebrows. And rarely do you see a Dracula who sports a mustache like this. I was going to say, Foy, I, we can make fun of him all you want, and that's fine. But that mustache was fucking on point, man. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he looks more like the kind of guy who should be playing like an old-fashioned, again, a silent film villain who would have like a top hat and a cape who would like tie a woman to a railroad. But he's Dracula. And after ever, the whole movie where all of the voiceover is really kind of monotone, all of a sudden, we get this bad Bella Lugosi impression. Karloff, sidekick. Fuck you! I am Count Dracula. I forget how he, what he says next, like, Lord of Vampires or something like that. And then he's just like, I am your son, Dracula. I am Count Dracula, known to all as a bloodthirsty fiend. I'm your son, Defula. <laughs> so he demands Dracula. He he, de- he demands that Dracula. His exact words are: he uh, he demands Dracula tell him where his mother is, and that Dracula should dissolve him of his problems with evil. Which, what? <laughs> Dissolve him with problems with evil. That's a very odd way to phrase it. And then it turns out that even though in the previous flashbacks his mom died, all of a sudden his mom is there, she's alive but undead as one of his like minions, his, his, his vampire bride. Ahem. Blade. Yes but, yes, but Blade's mom didn't just, did she just stay in a cave? For 30 years? I mean, well, she, Dracula... stayed, she stayed in that, like, posh-looking, like, whatever the fuck it was in the movie. Yeah, no. she was she was hitting that aside. Yes, but what stopped her from ever just yanking out that stake and bringing him back to life himself? They're like, this, none of this makes any sense. I don't know. Maybe Dracula was kind of a dick. Well, uh, so anyway, and let me tell you something. One of the most surreal things I've ever seen in a movie, and I think you will agree, is watching Count Dracula threaten someone using sign language. <laughs> he looked really angry while doing it. It's also fascinating that, that I, I, apparently the sign language for vampire is to like make two fangs with your teeth and just kind of poke your neck. Honestly, how the hell else would you do it though? Like that, I, oh, if anybody, I don't know sign language, but if somebody did that, I'd be like, oh, vampire. Here's a question. If you're a vampire who's deaf and does sign language, 
shouldn't you be able to like like stab your fingers into someone's neck and drink their blood that way? Because that would make a hell of a lot more sense, especially when you have this giant nose that can't get close to the neck. <laughs> let, let me put this one more time. When I say he has this, the nose that Defula has is this giant fake-looking schnoz. I mean, the only movie nose I can think of that was bigger are Pinocchio and Steve Martin and Roxanne. Yep. Yeah. It's it's really exaggerated. So yeah, it, uh, it's I, I that is the man still around? I, I would love to interview him about this film and just be like, you know, so why the nose? I think he is, but anyway, uh, he's still alive by all accounts. But anyway, uh, uh, Dracula is about to kill Steve for getting just uh, just basically just for generally just for bothering him. But then he sees the ring on Steve. Uh, the Amy gave him the ring apparently, and when he sees that, all of a sudden he stops trying to kill Steve and he gets really mad at his undead mother because that ring was a gift to her. And how dare you know this this man have this gift that I gave you? And while he's getting getting mad at her, Steve takes the opportunity to suddenly just like come up from behind and very easily shove the stake back through his heart. And Dracula immediately just falls back into his coffin. And Steve, it's, it's actually funny. Steve locks him in the coffin and just starts dancing and celebrating. <laughs> That's the ending to Hammer films that we never got. When Christopher Lee turns to Ash or, uh, or, or, or gets sent into a frozen river, we never got just like a five-minute celebratory scene with people like, you know, tap dancing to his demise. Yes, he, he's got his. I mean, he's 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 doing like dancing, like you would expect from someone doing Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> Which is what makes it even weirder for this moment. But unfortunately, in doing so, his mom in a poof of smoke turns into a pillar of dust. Which also begs the question: Well, why didn't she do that the first time Dracula got staked to the heart? Yeah. No, I yeah, yeah. You're but again, you're looking for logic where none is really there to be found for. Yeah, now at this point we're about like we're only about, we're about like seventy about seventy six minutes into the movie, and the movie's ninety seven minutes, and unfortunately the bulk of the rest of this movie is where we start getting into kind of the pretentiousness, because this is the part now where you know Dracula's dead, his mom is now dead, dead, his dad is dead, and he decides to become a preacher. We're not really sure how much time has passed. It can't be that much. It literally seems like he just decides, I'm just going to become a preacher and go in the pulpit. And he loves to philosophize about the nature of evil, including his own, which leads to the very bizarre ending. But before that, when he's preaching, there's a little girl in the, uh, in the pews, and she pricks her finger, and the blood makes him kind of like, whoa, like, is he about to become Defula? Is he going to attack this little girl? What's going to happen? It's like, but he contains himself. And then as the, as the, as mass is over, he's outside standing, like greeting everybody as they leave. And along comes detective Butterfield. Because detective Butterfield has figured out that Steve Adams is the vampire. And how has he figured it out? Because as we know, British detectives are the best detectives. 
and what a master plan and stroke of genius evidence he came across. Because one, the girl who pricked her finger was Butterfield's granddaughter who did that on cue just to see how Steve would react to the sight of blood. Well, he basically just kind of did a, did a double take and stared at her. Not really like, not like he jumped down there and began drinking her, you know, the blood like from her finger like Nosferatu. And secondly, and this is the thing you've been waiting for because yep. you've been bringing it up repeatedly. Yes. When in the woods, he found where Steve vomited and in it was undigested, unshelled peanuts like only Steve Adams would eat. But I have proof. Proof what? Peanuts are proof. And as Detective Butterfield tells the other detective, I am from England. I know he's a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> the detective then looks at his old friend Steve Adams and says, I'm asking you this as an old friend. Are you really a vampire? <laughs> <laughs> and the drama built to the moment where Steve just very calmly lets him know, I'd like to go inside and make my confession. I promise not to escape. <laughs> <laughs> and then for, what would you say, 10 plus minutes? Oh, easily. Easily. It's just him giving this soliloquy, this angry, remorseful soliloquy, begging for divine forgiveness. I don't think we've ever seen a movie before a vampire movie that ends with the vampire standing before a cross begging God for, uh, for forgiveness for what he's done. Which also seems a little, it doesn't, maybe if Steve had been a, I mean, it's not like he chose to become a vampire. <laughs> his entire life was cursed because of something that was completely out of his control. So it seems a little strange. And but, I mean, he, he destroys the ring by fist-bumping a cross that sends him flying across the room. And, and at that very moment when he destroys the ring, for reasons unknown, we cut to Amy sitting on a bench in the park, and she just drops dead. And then he continues to speak to God about begging for forgiveness. And then he, I mean, apparently God forgives him, but also kills him. Now, as... Calm as the river coming to rest in the greater body, the sea. And the detectives come in and find him laying at the altar, dead. And that's pretty much the end of the movie. Boy, it is curious that you mention it. And I don't know that I considered this while watching the movie, but just that turn of phrase you were talking about, the notion of... You know, it wasn't his fault. This was something that he was cursed with, you know, from the time he was born, right? And that's sort of the cross he's had to bear. Do you think vampirism in this movie is any sort of stand-in for his own inability to hear? I don't know. I, 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 I'm not really, uh, I mean, possibly, but I don't really think so. I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. It's like, uh, like I said, that, that this whole last like ten minute speech, it's like it's the part of the movie where it gets really kind of pretentious. But I don't think it's really. I mean, the whole movie, there's kind of this thing, this whole thing about sin and forgiveness. I I kind of get the impression that in real life, Wexberg was probably a very deeply religious person, and it also seems like the kind of scene that would be. I mean, the other thing to mention is like. The way it, it's actually very well shot when he's doing these scenes. Oh yeah, 
I mean, no, the, the, end- the ending is really like the black and white photography in this movie, even though, you know, the, the, the copy that we have to go from obviously is sourced from a VHS and it's kind of muddy and whatnot, but you can just tell like the composition and lighting that is there. Like this was, this was a very well-made movie in its, well, it- in its own way. Yes, and he's also when he's doing the soliloquy. I mean, he's not just like he's not just standing there; he's very much like walking around, and he's like, I mean, it's almost—I don't want to say like dance-like, but I mean, it's very choreographed. And he's also frequently—I mean, the camera is panned is up, looking down, and he's playing to the camera. He's not just talking to the cross; he's like he's talking to the audience. So. and it, it, it feels like the kind of thing that would work a lot I mean, if you were just going with the sign language. If you understood sign language, if you could hear nothing, it would probably be a lot more dramatic. But when you hear like the monotone voiceover, it just sounds kind of something is clearly lost in translation. But I mean, but I, 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 right now I'm speechless. I mean, that's kind of how I feel watching this movie. <laughs> fascinating because i've never seen anything like this and it's at times it is so well made and at other times it's just like what yeah yeah it's yeah but again you know if i do feel like that there is enough there to point to this guy you know becoming a a, a damn good filmmaker i think he had kept at it he 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 uh, he directed this he directed this movie and another film in 1975. He did another movie in '98 and another movie in 2008. So he uh, really, really? But here's a here's a really interesting factoid for some people out there. He was also a cinematographer on a number of movies that went direct to video in the late '80s and early '90s horror films like Devil Rider, Evil Alter. From 1988, the uh, the horror western Devil Rider from 1991, and he was the director of photography on the 1989 Frank Stallone Die Hard ripoff Terror in Beverly Hills. Boy, I got to tell you, I not only have I not seen these movies, I've never even heard of them. Uh, I've seen, I, I've heard of Evil Alter and Devil Rider, but I've never seen them. Uh, I have seen Terror in Beverly Hills. We'll move on now. Uh, <laughs> And apparently, uh, at least one of his kids went on to become like uh, a cinematographer. Now, now here's the really weird twist of this whole story that I, I, I read online. Apparently, this movie rarely gets shown, and most of the time, it was like being shown in museums, which kind of makes sense, or specifically for like you know facilities that cater to the the deaf. Wexberg signed it a. Uh, Wexford signed an agreement with the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare to receive 12 copies of the film to show to, to audiences. They would eventually bootleg the movie. The government bootlegged the movie and start putting <laughs> out VHS tapes, so the creator of the film had to sue the U.S. government for stealing from him. So, by watching this movie and doing this review, we may have committed a crime. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that also explains why even finding like gray market versions of this movie are kind of hard to come by. And apparently uh, the original movie was originally silent and then it was later that the dubbing for the hearing audiences and the really bad Bela Lugosi impression and the music was added 
to try to give a little more appeal to, to people who, who actually who were not deaf and did not know sign language if they wanted to watch the movie. I'm looking this up right now. Yeah, the suit made it to the United States Court of Federal Claims in 2002, Wexburg versus United States, which ultimately said that while the federal government was wrong to have made the VHS copies, Wexburg was not entitled to receive compensation because the film had not yet been registered at the Copyright Office at the time the VHS copies were made. What fucking bullshit. So that unfortunately that means we never got the sequel Defula versus the, the the United States government. I would have put my money on Defula. Eh. Over the years it has developed a following as a cult film due to the use of sign language and no spoken dialogue. Boy. It occurs to me we need to make this a regular thing at the end of our episodes that uh, after we've discussed them we need to try and point people in a direction because if they've listened to you know a, a, a commentary an entire podcast on a specific film you know if we've talked it up enough then maybe they're going to want to go and see it for themselves now I know our previous movie um, the Death of Ocean View Park is relatively you know it's easily accessible in its own way now. What would you recommend to listeners out there who actually kind of want to check out Defula after listening to us talk about it? What uh, what avenues, what routes should they take in order to do that? Honestly, honestly your, your only option that I know of is do a Google search and see if you can find somebody, some website that has a copy of it. That is sure. how absurd this thing is. I mean, if you go on to like IMDb or Letterboxd, there's very few reviews of it. If you go on to like YouTube... There's virtually nothing about it. It is a movie that exists in almost a void. Yeah. Now, can I ask, how did you swing a copy? I don't even remember. <laughs> I, don't even, I mean, I mean, even the the, the copy I managed to get, I, I clearly found somebody who had it. I don't think that I, I don't think the website I got it was even around anymore. I'm not even sure if I got it on the website. I might have got. I, Honest to God, I don't remember where I got it. All I know is, as you can testify to what you saw, it's a it's a it's a DVD R of another DVD R of a VHS that's kind of scratchy and a little bit uh, a little grainy. So. Yeah, like it starts out with there's no actual menu, but it, it's play only, and yet it opens with like a capture of a menu. And you watch yeah. somebody start it up, and then it goes into the movie proper. And then there's something like 25 minutes of padding after the movie that's just like nothing. So yeah, I don't know. So maybe this is maybe the, maybe it's from the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. <laughs> I don't know, but, but I mean, yeah, it's and and we should note something because I mentioned this earlier that you know some of the cast is deaf and some of the people are hearing. Uh, obviously, the guy. Peter Wolf, Peter Wexberg playing uh, Steve Adams and Defula. He was deaf. Uh, Detective Butterfield was a deaf actor. Amy was a deaf actor. Zork was a deaf actor. Steve's dad was a deaf actor. Uh, a couple of the victims were deaf. So, I mean, this is just one of those movies where it's just like it exists more as a curio to the to the average person. Well, actually, the average person is probably never going to watch a movie called Defula. Yeah, no, it's it's not gonna. I I chose this movie for us to watch because it's one of those movies where when it's over, it's like I don't know was I was I really entertained or was I just fascinated by watching something that is so unlike anything you'll find 
that's constantly on this like teeter totter of like artistic, well made, thoughtful, and on the other hand, ridiculous, <laughs> poorly thought out. Yeah, no, I think the answer to your question is yes. I, I, I think, you know, that kind of fascination is its own entertainment in a way. I, you know, again, there are, there are long stretches of this movie that were an absolute, you know, trudgeman, but uh, nevertheless, I always kind of appreciated it. I, I appreciated that it existed in the first place and that the guy tried this and that he actually showed quite a bit of talent behind the camera. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an oddity. It is, it, is, it is something. That's a fact that is utterly unique. Yes, it is an absolutely unique. It's one of those movies where, like, I mean, we, I mean, we poked some fun at it at, at you know parts of the movie that were just ridiculous. But it's one of those movies you can't just dismiss it as like, oh, it's just it's it it's weird, campy schlock. It's like, no, it's it's actually very well made for what it is most of the time. But when it's yeah, not, I mean, it's <laughs> you know, and here's the thing: not only. We've talked about the look of the movie, you know, the black and white photography and whatnot, but even, you know, even the editing on display is really interesting. You know, the way he plays with time, especially, you know, it's, he's, he was a really interesting cat, I think, you know, as far as uh, the type of, not necessarily the type of story that he was trying to tell, but the way in which he tried to tell it, uh, I, I, I think is really Really interesting, and I, I again, I would, I would be interested in tracking down the man's other movies now, just to see how, you know, he, you know, where that voice went, uh, as where, you know. So again, you know, I think, I think he was a little rough around the edges as a filmmaker here, but uh, I don't know. I think he would have gone on to do some really great films if he kept at it with any frequency. Uh, I'm looking at his IMDb. He directed four movies. Dafula. Something called Think Me Nothing in 1975, which has the plot is unknown. It has no reviews, no, no user reviews, no critical reviews, but somehow an 8.9 rating out of 10. <laughs> in 1998, he did a movie called I Love You But, which the I've plot heard of is that. Un- you have? Yeah, I've heard that title before. Um... <laughs> Well, you should be the first. Well, you should find out more because the plot is unknown at this time and it has no user or uh, it has no other information about it. I know that I've seen that in a VHS store once, like a rental place. I remember that damn title. And in 2008, he did one called King Peddler, which also plot unknown, (laughs) no reviews, no comment. So he's made three movies. Who knows where they? Are. I don't know, but and boy, then, and there he, is a trailer online for "I Love You," but uh, uploaded by Peter Wolf Productions. Well, that might be him. Yeah. <laughs> it's not him. I don't know who else it would be. A, a super fan. Yep. Uh, no, he. Okay, there is a Peter Wolf Productions. Let's uh, let's pop over to. Oh my God, boy. Hmm. So I, I see, I'm looking at Steve about four decades later right now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's Peter Wexberg aged quite a bit, uh, introducing you to his channel. Everyone go to YouTube and look up Peter Wolf productions 
And, uh, yeah, it looks like he's got some uh, videos up there, like some caption stuff. Uh, yeah, very cool. So it seems like he just he kept at it, man. I think that's great. Yeah. Nope. Good for him. Good for you, Peter Wolf. I, I think... You know what? I'm watching the trailer right now for... Uh, uh, while we're recording a podcast episode, but, you know... Uh, but I'm watching the trailer for I Love You But, and it looks actually very well shot and really kind of interesting. Good on you, Peter Wolf. All right. Well, I think I think I think we've said all there is to be said about Defula. I, I guess so. Uh, we probably said more on it than most have, from what you've told me. Uh, yeah. This this will want to be this will be one of the few things out there in the universe actually discussing this movie at length. So. Uh, you know, hopefully, I don't know, Foy, what do you want out of this conversation? Do you want to push people toward the movie? Do you want our listeners out there to, how would you sell, ultimately, Defula to our listeners out there? Do you want them to seek it out? Would you have them brace themselves for what it is? Or, I don't know, what's the final word that you want to leave folks uh, with, I, so far as I, Defula goes? I thought I already had the final word on it. It's just, it's one of the most unique, strange, bizarre, weird fascinating movies that I've ever seen. Will yeah. you enjoy it? I don't know, but it's like, it's kind of like one of those movies, like you just kind of have to see it. <laughs> that's, that's all there is that needs to be said. <laughs> all right. And I cannot argue with that. All right. Foy, somehow, some way we have made it to the end of another episode of Foyerism. Now, before we go, can you, uh, can you clue listeners in out there? And by listeners, I mean me. Can you clue me in? on what we might be talking about next episode. Do you have any idea yet? Well, I mean, I, 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 are you sure you want to do this? Because I suggested something once before and then changed my mind at the last minute. We went to Defula. You know what? It'll <laughs> we'll, we'll keep listeners and me on our toes together. Sure. Yes. I mean, I'll put it this way. I, 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 uh, nah, just, just tune in and find <laughs> out. I mean, I mean, we, We've done two, we've done like two of these so far. I mean, if you count the episode, but the pre foyerism episode we did about the uh, Beach Girls and the Monster, we, we've now done a 1960s slasher style monster movie, beach movie. Then we moved on to a 1970s disaster supernatural romance, <laughs> and now we've gone to the only, the first movie ever made in sign language about a vampire with a fake nose. So, who knows what's going to happen next time. It's always a roll of the dice, and I appreciate that. So, yeah. <laughs> Alright, folks. Now, um, before we go, Foy, where can folks find you at online? Uh, Twitter. Not really, not really many places to find me right now. It's Foy Wonder on Twitter. Probably the All... best place. <laughs> Good deal. And uh, folks, as always, thanks so much for listening. Make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Screamatics, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Boy, you got anything for the closing? Uh, what more needs to be said? Britain has the best detectives.